Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Art Baby. My name is Ingrid Wilson and I am the creative producer of an Arts Northern Rivers initiative, Northern Rivers Creative, an online directory for creative practitioners working within the Northern Rivers region. This three-part series is delivered in partnership with local photography and equipment house, Studio Tropico, made possible by the Australian Government's Regional Arts Fund, which supports the arts in regional and remote Australia. Arts Northern Rivers respectfully acknowledges Banjalung, Yagul and Githubal country, the lands we work and create on. We appreciate the unique and vibrant array of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists and cultural practitioners from here and living here. So, let's talk about art, baby. Thank you so much for joining me. We're sitting in the walls of the beautiful Elevator Gallery, which is an artist-run initiative in Lismore. And we're surrounded by the Northern Rivers Creative Group show. Let's just call it, let's talk about art, maybe, 433. So this incredible group of artists are each expanding the edges of all art forms from installation to sound, performance, sculpture, design, and more. And the artists and their collaborations include Steep Street, Immortal Soil, Casino Wake Up Time, Jeremy Austin, Grace Feyre, Betty Russ and Michael Donnelly. And we also had some live performances from Kit Webster and we'll have another one now. I'm just going to turn this up by Marcus McCosey with Desmond Cheese after this discussion. Um, so, yeah, I'm joined today by Bob Horan, half of the collaborative duo from Immortal Soil. Hello. Hello. Danny Zavella, who's on Elevator's board and is also a curator and creative producer based in Brisbane. Hello. Hello. Gold Coast. Gold Coast. And Betty Russ, who is collaborating with Michael Donnelly, but is also the founder of Elevator Ari. Hello. Hello. Michael and I are co-founders of Elevator Ari. Co-founders. Yeah. So 433, obviously, um, is representing the experimental composition by John Cage, 433, which is essentially four minutes and 33 seconds where instruments are not being played, not four minutes and 33 seconds of silence because it always represents the natural sound, which is in that moment at that time. Um, so, yeah, it really aimed to encourage artists to go beyond the limitations of standard gallery walls and engage with the infinite opportunities of how art can meet its audience. And they've definitely nailed that brief. So the first thing you see when you walk into this exhibition is an immense growing installation of natural grown elements called The Truth is in the Silence by Immortal Soil. And yeah, it's something that draws you closer and closer. And as you get close enough, you think you might enter Gallery Narnia and stay there forever. Bob, I want to dive in and talk about people who have inspired us or what has inspired us to be here today. And um, yeah, I just want to hear from you. What inspires Immortal Soil? Thank you. Well, I think probably by looking at our install, it's literally the natural world and Mother Nature. I mean, lots of wonderful artists exist in the world, but and I admire them and get down on bended knee and salute them but I um I think that that our install for this 
situation and the, the collaborative effort that Selena and I are doing is just literally trying to pay homage and some glory to Mother Nature. So, yeah, and also bringing it into like an in a bare-boned space uh, or like a abandoned space maybe like hopefully like makes people think a little bit more about how amazing she is out there because I think we forget in this sort of industrialised world. And so it's, you know, our collaborative effort called Immortal Soil and we do this sort of like, you know, hashtag sounds off, but we do like the earth is our church and we sort of humbly serve her in that way because one of the most complimentary things people could say to you is when you work in the flower world or sometimes create things, they go, is that real? And it's kind of a bit off though because it's like, we're so, yeah, it's like it's beyond, like, you know, we're, we're you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know, like, what's my train of thought there? But it's... Um, we're trying to emulate her, like she is real. Like she, you know, like you can, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you go out into nature or you go for a walk and well, this has happened to me probably because of my, you know, previous life of working in a commercialized industry of creating sets and things like that. And you're like, I'll be like walking like on the overland track in Tasmania. I'm like, wow, this is like a, a set. Like this could be, and it's like, no, this happened pre, like, me. Yeah, so I guess that's sort of like a little bit where we're coming from with our work. We're just um, trying to pay homage to her. I love that you're not the only collaborative artist in this show that are using earth-grown elements yeah. and you can smell the waddle embedded in Casino Wake Up Time's work throughout the gallery. So they are a group leading Indigenous traditional weaving techniques into contemporary art through new and abstract forms. And their work Slumber Party was first created for the 23rd Biennale of Sydney and it represents countless hours of gathering natural fibres from across Bundjalung country. Um, particularly Betty and Michael, your installation in the corner has got everything. It's got a bath, flowing water, we've got sculpture, we've got oranges, we've got soil, we've got sound and more. So for the podcast listener who is essentially a blind person in the gallery, could you please try and describe what we're looking at? Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine and Michael's sick minds. Um, okay, so what we're looking at is a collection of objects organised in quite neat, sort of lines running perpendicular and parallel, um, the central object being a bathtub that is filled with pink liquid. Um, hovering above that pink liquid is a lump of cement. On the wall uh, is a cement bowl that has some gold leaf in it and a speaker. And uh, then there's a small... Eurorack modular synth anyway, a um, bunch of speakers, a shitload of cables and then PVC, that clear PVC tubing um, sort of tangling around the whole thing where the um, water, the pink milky water pumps through it um, and 
from that pink milky water you get like a trickling sound um, and then from the four speakers that are embedded through the oranges, the soil and the cement, um, which is controlled by the modular synth, there's a sort of weird arrangement of ghostly sounds in double stereo. Amazing. You nailed that. <laughs> <laughs> and any big inspirations that inspired this work or do you just get lost in an experiment, experimental playground? Uh, I think... Uh, the question of what inspired you is like really complex um, because if you're a person with a visual nature or someone who a sensual nature, a sensorial nature, then you take everything in all the time So and everything's connected. So it's hard to pinpoint any direct inspiration except for everything that I've sensed my entire life. <laughs> Um, but I also have a degree um, and you do like study very particular things within an institution. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that there are specific artists that would come to mind. Um, but really not even artists. Yeah, it's more uh, the, the natural world like Bob and Selena um, and just being out in nature, I also come from a bit of a theatrical background. So I love what Bob said about, is this a set? This is definitely a set. Or like you're at, you're watching a show and you're like, that's a set. And then you like you Google the location, you're like, fuck, that's not a set. <laughs> um, so that kind of thing, but also just, I'm, I'm not inspired by, I'm perplexed by the human natures, or both Michael and I, I'm perplexed by human nature's complete and utter like solipsism and like self-centrality and how they're like, oh, we're doing this like amazing thing. It's like it's been done before a million times for like millions of years. So, you know, get over yourself. And just sort of responding to that and like working with it and thinking, you know, into the future. Um, but from a past perspective, very strange. Um, to riff on um, what you said about the 4 minutes 33, it's not silence, it's just not instruments playing. And so there's like a, a theme that Michael and I both work with in like our lives and our art, which is the weird and the eerie. Um, and it's, it's absence or an additional something, um, but never nothing because there is no nothing. It, there's always something. So, yeah. What about the soil? Does that, because sound going through soil alters it in a way. Is that why the soil's there? Look, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Probably. It's, just a, it's great to have another natural element included in the show. There were going to be plants in the bath, but I was like, nah, there's too many plants. Fuck the those more, plants. No, I'm kidding. The more plants are better. The more plants are better. <laughs> Danny, you've done it. Earth your electronics. They're a little bit. Yeah. What was that? You're trying to earth your electronics. Oh, yeah, that's it. We're earthing. We're, <laughs> We're all earthing here. Yeah. Danny, you've done a curatorial investigation, which is ongoing, I believe, into why I listen to plants. Can you tell me a little bit about the artists and the scientists that have encouraged this project and why we should listen to plans? Well, 
When someone starts that way, you know it's a special interest. Um, it has been a, why listen to plants is an investigation I started in 2017 um, as part of um, my work at Liquid Architecture, which is a sound art organisation based in Melbourne. Um, that investigation itself was sparked actually by an earlier uh, round of research uh, into a project called Why Listen to Animals? Um, and that came about because we were trying to kind of shake up the, I guess, human centricity, that solipsism that Betty was talking about uh, in thinking about sound and the power of sound and artists working with sound. And so we we went deep into the non-human world of animals. And it got me thinking, you know, if we are kind of asking these questions of about animals, I wonder if we could ask them about other things. Um, uh, and Why Listen to Animals was an investigation that was based on a famous art theorist called John Berger, his work uh, Why Look at Animals from 1973, which um, more or less posits that um, the reason for animals in art is that uh, animals started appearing more in our framed art and artistic practice uh, as a result of us having more distance from working with them. Uh, and so we were kind of like riffing on Burge's, you know, theory with Why Listen to Animals and also trying to take uh, some of those questions seriously about listening to non-human others. And so when it came to plants, um, I was aware that there was a kind of history of people playing music to plants and they don't. They don't like heavy metal, and they they do like Mozart, and um, and 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 maybe there's something to do with crystals. But uh, and <laughs> plants plants are probably listening to us, but we don't really know how. But anyway, when I started looking into it, it just turned out that uh, I hit a, a really important moment um, in uh, plant science, plant botany, and um, a big debate that was raging around plant consciousness. And there was a particular scientist, Monica Galliano, who has done a lot of research into um, plants and their relationship to sound, I think you could say. So obviously they don't have ears, but that doesn't mean they don't have a use for sound or use sound vibrations in their world, um, which to me, being involved in the world of experimental art and the world of, you know, kind of trying to push definitions and, and bring that back into artistic practice, it was something really exciting about the idea of decentering the ear, like decentering the human part of hearing in some way, to talk about sound and listening in an art sense with, with non-human others. Um, also talking to traditional owners. I've had so many different stories, but also takes on plants and plant listening. One of the best of those came from a nanny up my way in the Gold Coast who said, why listen to plants? Like, of course you would ask that if you had grown up not listening to them your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> but she also said that that is, that is, the, that is the, not the start of the question. That is that's a tiny, tiny, tiny place to begin for opening up a whole world of other questions, uh, which was a beautiful way to answer that question that is kind of, um, unanswerable. What is really funny for me about where I listen to plants and it's, you know, kind of extension into my uh, artistic practice now where I'm specifically trying to listen to endangered species, specifically ones that we have a relationship with um, that are nearing extinction. So a um, little bit of self-promotion. I have the next show after this one here <laughs> in this gallery opening on here September elevator. 10 um, yeah. with an endangered swamp orchid as the, as the, as the hero. Like what Danny's saying is that listening isn't 
necessarily done with the ears. This is like, you know, we're talking about experimental art and while, I mean, look, we're in Lismore, you know, I don't have a PhD from, I don't know, some fancy uni or anything, but it just always like happens that you know, art and science are sort of always breaching the van- like the bounds at the same time or they're working together or, you know, they're in sync. And I think it's just that like the sort of the querying of biology and the querying of sound, which is basically just undoing traditional norms and binary things like hearing or not hearing, um, is kind of like it's a big thing in in art right now, like across the the world, because like finally, um, lots of people are catching up to what lots of people already do know, and I speak about people cultures who have been around for a long time but we're catching up to that and going oh fuck you don't have to listen with your ears you can listen with your body and listening's not even really a thing and actually it's just sense and and it intuits you and and what you do next and we're not really that different to plants and we're only just sort of breaching this now which is hilarious because you know if we're going to survive the climate crisis um we really need to act on that level on that we're not other than the world we are the world while we're talking about different ways to experience sound um after this discussion we're about to all put on headphones if you'd like to stick around and experience marcus mccosey's and desmond cheese's collaborative performance where in his virtual reality world marcus is controlling where the sound is played so we're going to all put on headphones and you know, have the full 3D experience of this sound. But as technology emerges, as does our ability to visualise, comprehend and control sound as well. And I think experimental art has a big hand growing with emerging technologies. Danny, do you work with emerging technologies much in your practice? I have been experimenting with AI, um, with building... um, libraries and with visually and with sound um, because my interests in particular are so um, odd. It can be fun to put the different things together and uh, try to teach. Um, I'm working with a designer right now to kind of develop some different algorithms to produce the kinds of things I want, which would be um, a, a kind of self-replicating system that could um, produce sounds and or, and or images and or potentially lead into regeneration type uh, efforts. So um, we were just talking uh, before the everything started rolling about how um, sometimes where you have rare plants like orchids uh, and they have these special locations, um, there's you know it's more possible than ever before to share those locations with everyone and the world. And there might be a good argument for doing that because you might you know be able to get that habitat protected but you might also just dr- drive traffic to that area and you can't trust what people are going to do there um, you know Bob and I were talking about how it's a bit like surf spots you know there's a code you just wouldn't you just wouldn't keep it to yourself a beautiful it to collaboration yourself. between I, yeah. you yourself and Bob emerging and more, more I hope so. I hope so. yeah a budding orchid friendship going Buddy, right now. I love what you did up there, John. Did you see the pun there? I like, I, I like what you did there. Yeah. I've like been it. secretly driving it for like 18 months now. 
it's finally happening. It's, it's finally happening happen in yeah. real time. It's growing right before your it's, eyes. Yeah, your, your bower <laughs> will grow over into here <laughs> yeah. for the show. Well, yeah. When you're working, are you just completely surrendering to your surroundings as opposed to what's available and what materials you're working with? Like I know that you had complete freedom to create what you wanted to yeah. do because it's hard to construct or guide you when you're working with natural elements. You're sourcing them True, as well. Yeah. I think moving up here and facing all the elements and the, you know, you might say restrictions or whatever, like it literally is what you can't sort of go out with a preconceived idea of what you want because it'll just throw you a curly one. So, and there's also, you know, it's wonderful to move to a um, new region and see what's on offer and just meeting all the wonderful people up here, like not so many commercial growers, but just people that just love plants and love like just a lot of old school people from all the different like orchid societies and dahlia societies and they they're unfortunately a dying breed like I think because of the new wave of people that are coming through growing things they're a little bit you know self-taught or you can find this information on the internet whereas before I was talking to a guy recently and he was like we just shared all this information with each other when we had tea and scones and we went on the bus trip you know, to a country, t- like, which to, like, just warms my heart because I love tea and scones. And I love it. And I also love a chat. Like, I'm not really, I, I learn better from example and from talking and communicating and having, like, a nice friendship with someone as opposed to reading it in a textbook or just always been like that. So it's a bit of a shame to think that that might die out, but I'm going to give it a good nudge to keep it going. And I feel like Danny might be there with the tea and scones and the <laughs> orchid society with me. But, um, yeah, you just have to roll with what's here. And because this has been the first, like, full season that I've – well, Selena and I have lived up in this region, so just still, like, really experiencing what comes out and when it comes out. And there is so – I mean, they're weeds. I know there's, like, so many weeds here. But, you know, weed is just a plant in the wrong spot. So – you know, and if people are constantly trying to get rid of them and mow them down and slash them, like, if we get to them first, watch out, like, to see what we can make out of it. Like, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. We'll show you what we can do. And then dispose of them in a very thoughtful way, yeah. of course, because we don't want to spread that around. You've but. got a pretty incredible portfolio of work, so it was very easy to put complete trust in you yeah. to <laughs> create you. whatever you wanted to. Well, you can, space, you know, bless COVID lockdowns for that too because it did sort of get born out of the fact that, we couldn't do anything. Like you couldn't go anywhere and you couldn't do anything you within forage in your LGA. Of, yeah, a couple <laughs> of Ks from your own home. And um yeah, that's how our well, social media pre- presence at the moment was born from that. But it was a you know, being told and forced to stop and, you know, breathe and smell the weeds on the roadside mm. really worked out well for us. <laughs> <laughs> stop and smell the yeah, well, weeds. You couldn't people. access anything from yeah. <laughs> Some of them are really good, yeah. Except for that one that I bought. Well, it wasn't a weed. What was that thing that I bought last weekend? It was a type of basil or something. Oh, the it was scaredy pretty... cat or the dog's bane. There you go. Yeah, that was really yeah. It smells not it's a cologne. Like that one really uh, closely related to cannabis. And yeah. if you smell the leaves, it stinks like it's pretty weed. St- yeah, but it, it looks like lavender or yeah. salvia. It does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So though, yeah, good one to know. Weeds are great because it's like there's no guilt in just taking there's them no out. There's no guilt. You know? <laughs> there's literally no guilt. Like, you know, I'm helping. Yeah. Yeah. Farmer I'm man. Helping, yeah. Yeah. 
it was great watching your installation come together having not having an idea of what it would look like and seeing it but you weren't the only one like steep street a sculpture within a sculpture incorporating analog projection that you can in um Great with I just yeah heard no, that and was like yeah go yeah <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what you're going you to create me at, yeah integrate. and a particular <laughs> one that I loved um, was Jeremy Austin's work which is behind us so at the opening event he filled a fire extinguisher with paint and let loose on an eight by three meter surface and by the time it came to move that surface into the gallery almost all of the paint has gone from it so it really made this an ephemeral work. Yeah, <laughs> you really art. had to be there to experience it, but it's still quite beautiful. Um, but I think just having a space like Elevator Ari to allow for this type of work to grow um, and, yeah, really foster experimental practice and encourage it within our artists. There were so many applications for this show and I can definitely confidently say that I think Elevator Ari's influence in this area encouraged that growth of experimental practice in this region. So all the coming forward of it. Yeah. I think it's here. It is here. Yeah, we just we need more space for low risk experimental. Is that one forward. of the elements that inspired you to create an artist run initiative? Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah, I came here 5 6 years 5 5 years ago. And there were community galleries and but no Aries and I'd come through like Sydney and then Hobart where there's just like you can pretty much get like a free feed and booze on every Friday, Saturday night. (laughs) 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 Uh, Actually, they like when I lived in Sydney, I shit you not, there was a free feed and booze on calendar um, (laughs) for art students. And um, sustained many arts myself. It's very, it's clever. It's, it's a good way to keep art in the forefront. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, there, there wasn't an Ari and I was like, no, <laughs> we must. We must. I'm seriously regretting it now because, like, I've got varicose veins. But um, no. <laughs> Well, I think it's been great for the community. <laughs> no, it's really good. I'm very glad we did it. Um, and, yes. Mm. Mm, well, thank you very much for doing it. I've thoroughly enjoyed seeing all of the different types of art flourish in this space over the past few years. I'm looking forward to seeing more, more to come. Um, well, one more question before I wrap up. Danny, have you got any tips for documenting ephemeral work like this? For people who aren't here to see this or listen to this, how do you show them Jeremy splashing with a fiery extinguisher full of paint without not just be on video? Like, I know that you're big on words and writing and research. Do you incorporate that into your curatorial practice? <laughs> I, I, yes, I am. I lecture mode, but I I do. I think it's because it's ephemeral. You, you sort of highlighted the the hardest part of um, of have keeping that memory. And since I started in curating experimental practice 2004, yes, I'm very old, um, we, I would say maybe half of our events had no documentation in the early days, or if they did, they, they, this, they were not good photos. And um, I have then had the opposite problem of having terabytes full of hundreds of photos and hours of video, which is itself like a different type of burden. Um, 
And, you know, we also know the publishing world is shrinking. So back when I started, there were multiple art magazines and multiple uh, avenues for commentary and discussion and reviews, which is a really important aspect of, you know, what's the response to the work. Um, and that has really shrunk uh, that, that particular part of the sector. So the other part thing is a lot of performance art um, is by definition very hard to document it's often in low light, it's moving, it's doing all the things you don't want. Uh, it's, it's not a nice static sculpture. You can just light and shoot from any angle. Um, and you also want to get a sense of the crowd, but a lot of that time it's very intimate and you don't want to be like up in people's faces taking photos. Um, so what my, you know, with my my art practice now and I also work in another um small organization we have a kind of mobile lightweight type of uh everybody films a little bit on their mobile phone um and so we sort of have a 10 member crew who all just take a few bits and then we put those together and whatever we have we have it's probably influenced by having young people who do tiktoks and things for us but video gives you a sense of space that photography can't we get a few high-end photographs um and then we try to get some kind of response uh and sometimes that's the video like getting people interacting with the work or sometimes that's, uh, I mean, you know, like I was saying, it's very hard to get writers and writing and reviews and things like that, but getting uh, some kind of uh, engagement with someone in the critical field um, is something you can work uh, work towards doing as well. And then you have a record of it, um, not just what happened, but the sort of the impact and the circumstance, ideally what was going on in the world at that time. Um, and that's something I was thinking about with this show which you've pulled together so many beautiful elements and there's so much about the region and the place um coming through and the 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 interest in the plants in a place where mother nature is so close to you all the time uh, and then having these other elements that are completely you know the the fire extinguisher that this sort of like absurd surrealist kind of element as well um which is it's also really necessary for people to you know have that breadth of experience expansion um so you have to also maybe accept that on some level some things can't be documented and they just are experienced in the moment and that is the memory that they live on or or the, the yeah what people what people experience is what happened Thank you all so much for coming today and listening to us talk about Art Baby. And thank you, Betty, Bob and Danny, for joining me up here. Thanks, thank you. Thank, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you.